Clay, for all the the hype about modern Star Trek and everything like that, I think that Lower mm-hmm. Decks is the first written by millennials Star Trek that we've ever seen because we have an episode completely devoted to changing your job every five minutes and your career path, yes. which is which yes. is something the the boomers of the 1960s Star Trek won't appreciate. They uh, they slaved away for 50 years, got their pension at the same company, worked for AT and T, which was bought out by whatever, and then uh, you know retired happy, but. I don't know about you, but I, I, I wonder what it takes to be considered a career change. I've, I've had a lot of jobs, but I would never mm-hmm. say that my career has changed, really. I think I only recently got a career when I've been in this job for what it is, if, it's, if you even want to consider it a career. Yeah, I, um, I don't know if I would fit that millennial mold then because I am, uh, I'm really good at attrition. And I just, I just commit and just plug away until it works. So I've been doing the same thing for... <laughs> 15 years now uh to varying degrees of success but uh probably maybe longer than i should have but. did you have a high school job that was not this did you do any kind um, of, did you work for the man at some point in your life when i was in college in the summers i would work as a janitor at the local schools mm-hmm. from where I, where i was from uh but aside from that yeah once i got out of college it's been all all art all the time yeah for better or worse yeah what the hell did i do i did a lot of stupid did you know any of those kids? Was it popular in, in uh, Worcester? Is kind of popular for high school kids to do the um, like telemarketing jobs that were selling like nonsense. Okay. Like those are very easy to get, and it was it paid relatively well because it's soul sucking. But um, I did that for a little I'm, bit. Worked for the electric company for a little bit. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, no. commanded a starship for a couple weeks. <laughs> and all that. I knew a few people who sold knives. Yes, like door to door knife salesman, Cutco. Cutco yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That and was it's a- always I anytime anytime someone would come over to like it only happened a couple times like the kid next door was doing it and he came over and talked to your parents to my parents yeah. yeah it was always like it's like the the job equivalent of of when a kid wants to show you the dance routine he's been mm-hmm. she's he or she's been working on and it's like okay let's just let's just let him do it and then we don't have to do it we'll throw him a couple dollars and just you know yeah, get him out of here. Yeah, that was embarrassing. I, I never sold the Cutco knives, but I knew friends who did. And um, yeah, looking back on it, that's just grooming for all these MLMs, I guess, at this point. It's the same same concept, uh, same concept as all that stuff. Well, what you got to do there for anybody who's thinking about going into the knife industry, mm-hmm. uh, focus your sales on new housing developments or places with... Uh, uh, just moved. Things that for are... For sales that, signs, yeah. yeah, yeah because yeah. they're probably going to need cutlery of some sort. So you get in... Just sneak in as the movers are bringing everything in, and then by the time they know what's going on, you're already halfway through your spiel. And the then tough, you'll be done by the time the cops get there. The tough one with that is that you lose so much of your profit margin on having to buy leather shoes that you can cut through to, to prove it to people. <laughs> it's unfortunate that leather shoes are so expensive because otherwise I think that's made in the shade once you get that done. Do you I, – I know this is going too long, but do you remember the movie The Fan with Robert De Niro? Yeah, and, who's uh, the – not Cuba Gooding Jr. Who's the – I think it's Wesley Snipes, yeah, it's but I'm Wesley not hundred percent sure. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. The only thing I remember from that movie, I don't know why, is that De Niro was a knife salesman, and he would show how sharp the knives are by demonstrating how easy he could cut the hair <laughs> off of him. <laughs> yeah. And there's a scene. There's a scene where he's like at his low point, and he's like trying to sell this knife, and he's like, I. Uh, uh, I don't got any hair left, but because uh, he's gone through all the hair on That's both of his arms. Proof enough. Proof is in the concept. Yeah, I know, right? right? 
<laughs> no, I didn't. I don't remember that scene. I just remember the movie. Anyway, let's um. I guess to get to lower decks, which is the topic of today's conversation. So it's going to be on voice the second episode, and we'll take a break. We'll play a clip from the episode. We'll come back and we'll break it down. Okay, you go down. There we go. Where did you even get flagons? Boy, landing little Kronos, I want God! Uh, well, my orders were actually to deliver you to the Federation outpost so you could address... pilot just set us down in the Klingon district. The man wants hot worms. Yes, sir. Coming right up. Do you remember Jaxa Prime, the commander who didn't believe you about rectal insectoids? Ha, <laughs> yeah, I got chewed out, but his ass got chewed up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Envoys is the second episode of the first season of Star Trek Lower Decks. It aired on August 13th, 2020. It came out on CBS All Access that day. Anyway, written by Chris Kula, directed by Kim Arndt, in-universe dates, 2380. I feel like names are losing letters or something. There's a, the, people, <laughs> the modern names of the people, I feel like they're missing a consonant or a vowel in there somewhere. In this episode, after a high-profile mission goes awry, Boimler is further plagued with self-doubt when Mariner proves herself to be a more naturally talented sci-fi badass than he. Rutherford quits his job in engineering and explores other departments on the USS Cerritos. So, I'm going to be talking about On Voice here. It's the second episode, as I mentioned. Um, do you have any shocking things to say about this episode, Clay? Well, I was sort of prepping with work uh, or something to say, <coughs> making my list of things. I realized I didn't really have a strong take on anything. Like, there's there's no shocking revelation. I don't think that you're going to hear from the first episode here. I think it, I think it actually maybe highlights a few potential weaknesses in the series. But I don't have a very different take from the first episode that we saw. My shocking take is that I didn't realize until this episode that the security officer is a Bajoran. I also learned that this episode, and it seems yeah. so obvious once you realize it. It's like, I, was it the uh, the mention of the prophets that clued you into it? No, it was actually the nose and the earring. Oh, okay, yeah. Once he yeah. said, once he said, he says something like "Hail to the prophets," and then I look right, at his nose. Right. It's like that uh, sort of cinematic cut of me noticing all the things that are incredibly obvious <laughs> at the, to that point. You dropped your uh, Kobayashi yeah. cup onto the ground and shattered. <laughs> no, I, was, I dropped my DVD set of DS Nine on the ground, and the DVDs <laughs> exploded everywhere. Yeah, I, um, I, I still enjoy the show. Uh, I it's I think it's two for two for me. I think the story itself probably isn't quite as strong as the first episode, um, if only because they don't really there's no really tie in between the two. Not that there has to be every time, because I think both both stories are are fairly sound. The A plot and the B plot are fairly sound. Um, I think the yeah I. I think maybe that's a good place to start. I think the B plot works really well as a joke B plot here. And mm-hmm. I think the A plot is pretty boring uh, relative yeah. to that. Like the, the A plot is the Boimler and Mariner going down, which I think starts out okay. But once they get down to the planet and it's just kind of the repetitious uh, sort of pun of him not understanding what's going on and she does until mm-hmm. they flip it at the very end. Um it felt redundant, which isn't a problem from the first one, but it did get me wondering if this is just going to be the interaction between these two for a very long time. You know, you could see a, a season or two of Boimler and, I think it's pronounced Boimler, Boimler and Mariner uh, having this kind of interaction where she always knows better than him, but at the end she kind of helps him in some way mm-hmm. or there's a friendship brewing there. But I did like the B plot. Even if it was lacking as a story, I thought it was a good joke that was going. It was a yeah. joke with legs on it that was able to go... 10, 12 minutes of an episode. 
Yeah, it was it's a pretty simple setup and it's it's one of those things where you can say, All right, here's the setup and then just list a bunch of jokes you can do. Yeah. Uh, separate vignettes situational for each, jokes. each division yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like I, I i really enjoyed the holodeck sequence i thought that was a lot of fun the bridge uh, is that the bridge he, officer when he's when yeah he, when yeah. he calls for the janeway maneuver and then the ship <laughs> essentially blows up my favorite was, was just good. maintain maintain course <clears throat> and then immediately yes. <laughs> <laughs> something. Uh, maintain course again and it's always good to mention uh children being killed that's always very funny so it's uh, yeah as <laughs> everything you need i like that one i yeah. like the the security one is kind of fun, just beating up the Borg or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. the, I, I think that the maybe the B plot's a good place to start with it because what I what I was wondering was how we talked about in the first episode. The show is extremely referential to TNG, right? So the joke of sure. there's a main joke there, which is repeated a couple times that he is hesitant to bring up the fact to his commander that he wants to change jobs. And the joke mm-hmm. is that they react badly at first, like, what are you going to do? And then they're like, oh, of course, you can go do that. Do whatever you want. Which I feel is um, is a joke that's largely based on the fact that TNG or Trek, no one would ever have a problem with changing jobs. You know what I mean? So it's like mm. the the joke there is that they're referencing TNG, which is that everyone would be okay. And he's you're sort of free in universe to do whatever you want for a career, really, in that Star mm-hmm. Trek universe. Mm-hmm. So no one really has a problem with it. But I, I wonder how much you can kind of get out of something like that where it's so it's so uh, tied to that what I consider to be that Star Trek mindset that I wonder how long you can do material like that where there's no real mm-hmm. story reason why that joke is being made it's just kind of a Star Trek reference not that that mm-hmm. story has to have some kind of like commander feedback thing or whatever but it feels so referential to TNG that. Um, I wonder how long you can push that button and have it be effective in a lot of ways. Sure. Well, I actually, I didn't even realize that was a referential joke, honestly. Mm. Um, I, I thought it was just more of a, uh, um, traditionally in, 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 in stories like this, there's always some sort of pushback when the guy wants to change jobs or yep. whatever. Or, uh, so I just thought it was an inversion of that. I didn't, I didn't even recognize it as being a, a, a TNG thing, but <clears throat> to your larger point, yeah, I I don't know um, because I found for the jokes that worked for me, I would say like half of them maybe were referential jokes. Um, like I I chuckled quite a bit when they when Boimler and uh, uh, Mariner got down to the planet and he's power walking away and he yeah. said this saves energy. Section thirty one does this. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Uh, but I also liked the. Well, I mean, maybe it is technically referential, but I liked the uh, the bit where the Klingon guy says, "Come, let me tell you of all my sexual conquests." Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know if I don't really know if. Uh, so it's like you kind of they've kind of got stuff that are just Star Trek jokes generally, and stuff that are more referential. And yeah, I think it's going to be striking a balance is going to is going to be the. Uh, the interesting thing to see how they go from here. The sexual yeah, conquest if, if, one, I, I think. I think there is a ground to mix them where it's a reference, mm-hmm, sure. but it also works as a joke in and of itself. Like I think the sexual conquest one works because imagine if that yeah. guy wasn't a Klingon and he's just kind of like an old drinking buddy of Mariner, you could see that line being the same. Like, let me right. tell you about these sexual conquests and you go too. It works just because it's a Klingon and conquest always works as a word that Klingons would use. So it's, it's fun mm-hmm. in that regard. But I think there is a ground for that area. Um, the references just, they do make a lot of references. Like the, mm. I almost, I was, I almost wonder if there's just like a jar of references, and you can just see it being drained as the show goes through it. You know, it's and 
But you can finish your point. I'll, I'll have a closing point about whether or not the references matter and stuff like that. But I, I, I didn't mind it here, and I find it kind of um, an enjoyable pace. I guess would be the way to describe the use of it. Yeah, that's kind of kind of what I was what I was getting at. Where I don't I don't think yet that it's become a crutch. It's definitely it's definitely not a bug. It's a feature of the show. Like this is just how they're going to do it. But I don't think it's become something where they're doing that in place of writing jokes or or in place of X, Y, or Z. Um, like the reference Telling isn't story. the point. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, did did uh, did we did we cover Ready Player One? No, no. Uh, well, I watched I watched that uh, uh, I don't know a year or so ago on my own. And I was expecting to really hate it because it's basically like references the movie. And the thing that I wasn't prepared for is even though it's top to bottom references of stuff that you have loved from your childhood or whatever, they don't really bring a lot of attention to it or point a lot of it out. Yeah. So you never get it's not like the DeLorean from back to the future shows up and everyone. And then the guy's like, Oh my God, it's the DeLorean from back to the future. You know what I mean? It's yep. not the references. They're just part of the world. It's not the point of the scene. Well, to plug, the um, point of the to, pl- to plug our <clears throat> recent Patreon episode, we revisited relics, the TNG episode, sure. which I think does that because it, Scotty, as we talked about, mentions a lot of callbacks and a lot of references in it, but it works because he's a character who he's not just bringing it up. He's trying to relive his past glory. So he's mentioning stuff that he's done. And the tie in is that Star Trek fans would recognize most of it. Yeah. And I think if they can maintain that sort of balance with this show, I think it'll work. But the minute they start doing scenes that are just like the reference is the point, that's when it's going to start running out of gas, I think. What about... um? Not to, we don't have to go too far on this, but what I, I believe they're bringing back cast members. I don't know if this has been confirmed or if it's just rumors, but I think they're doing voice actors from previous cast members who I imagine are going to come on the show and play their previous characters. That would be fun. Again. So you, you're yeah. looking forward to that. I was wondering if that would be too skewing towards what you were saying, which is like, this is you too, know, too close. It depends on how they do it, I guess. Like, if you bring back Jonathan Frakes to play Riker. But he's not playing Riker. He's playing a heightened, ridiculous lower decks version of Riker. Yeah. Then eh, I don't know about that. But like, if you bring back Michael Dorn to play Worf, and you inject classic Worf into this situation, so Worf is the straight man, I think yep. that would work really well. Yeah. So I think it's all it's all about an intention and execution. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd be I'd be interested in. It. I mean, they they name drop the Enterprise in this one, just saying is like, oh, an ensign served on that ship for a week and thinks that she's hot shit or something like that. What, so th- what they should, what would be amazing and would be probably the best way to get him back into the uh, franchise and the way he would probably have the most fun is if someone dis- like discovered lost logs of Captain Kirk, mm-hmm. where you could we get Shatner to do the voice and then let Shatner if they if I would be okay with it if they got Shatner to play Kirk. And his Kirk was like the Adam West equivalent from Family Guy. Yeah. Where it's just the stuff that he's saying is completely off the wall and ridiculous, but he's doing it as like a straight Captain Kirk delivery. Yeah. I would be okay with that because that would be a nice send up of 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 all the characters that would be fun to really send up i think that would be a good one yeah he'd be good yeah there there is a lot i think there is room to to play in that area but it's another case of having to be careful with it um this one do you think that this episode works better or worse if did um did caitlin watch this one with you 
Uh, she hasn't watched this one yet. Okay. No. I was I was curious. Did you get a sense of whether or not you thought that this one? I thought that this one was actually more reference heavy than the first episode, the pilot, in terms of like how much of the jokes rely on you kind of knowing what the the thing is. Mm. Um, I don't think it's ever. I don't think the show ever gets to the point where you can't figure out what the joke is supposed to be. But I wonder how much it's heightened by being like, oh, I completely understand what that reference is, as opposed to I can intuit what that reference is supposed to mean. Yeah, I I don't know because my my reference radar for Star Trek is not as sensitive as as most as a lot of people's are because I'm I'm not as fluent in the show as some people are. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I I honestly I I guess I would have to say yes. It's pro it is more referential just because they're doing a lot more stuff across the ship, like sending um. Ma- I was going to say Mayweather. What's his name? Rutherford? Rutherford, yeah. S- sending Rutherford to all the different sections of, of divisions of the ship is inherently going to produce more referential material yeah. because you're doing everything on the ship. Um, I don't mind him, though, because he's... At no, least, I like him. I still... Yeah, at least the uh, the the command... Like, the, the divisions on the starship make sense in a kind of military way, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think that the you can you can kind of intuit what that is supposed to mean for that guy. Um, in ter- like you don't need to know the actual divisions of what the starship is. It's like these guys are in charge. This is the doctor. This is the security force and stuff like that. I felt mm-hmm. that the uh, the Boimler and um, Mariner one was the more referential down to like the knowing who the Ferengi are is kind of like it's kind of important to lo- to knowing how that sure. resolves. It's not important to know that she does it to help him. Uh, Mariner does it help him, but to, to understand what the Ferengi are supposed to be is kind of a deep reference. If you're not familiar with the show at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think the closest they come to, uh, the reference being the gag is probably the Ferengi bit. But the thing that actually I think saves it is the fact that it's, the point of the scene is supposed to be that Mariner, quote unquote, doesn't realize it's a Ferengi. Yeah. So they inherently, the scene has to involve Boimler pointing out, of course, it's a Ferengi. Look at his ears. Yep. Look at his teeth. He's doing the hand thing. Um, but yeah, I think the, fer- <clears throat> excuse me, uh, I think the Ferengi bit is probably the most, I don't even want to call it an in-joke. I think, because I think it still works, even if you didn't know who the Ferengi were, you can yeah. get the, you know, you you could figure out contextually that it's, uh, you know, well, that she's not wrong. To be trusted. That's the, right. like, or that like she doesn't know what it is and he is 100% sure of what it is. I'm just trying to replace it in my head. If you replace it with something that was not Star Trek, I wonder if that is as interesting. If I was unfamiliar, mm. like if that was a random Star Trek race and it wasn't the Ferengi, you yeah. are at that point you're watching it having to take Boimler's word, not knowing that he's true about it, you know? So that kind of kills the joke because you're, Mm -hmm. you're like, well, is he, is that a Dimmeling Dong alien or whatever? And you don't really know until the end. And then she reveals that she did. So it kind of, I mean, you wouldn't be, uh, you wouldn't be happy if it was a Suliban that showed up. Right. (laughs) That's what I was begging for. I think we've seen one. There's a image of a Suliban in lower decks. They drew them, uh, at some point. Oh, really? Yeah. At least one of the crew members is, um, but that, that's, I don't want to be repetitive about it, but I think that the reason, I think the reason this works and maybe the reason why I disagree with a lot of critical commentary on this show is that to me, this show is the 
best case for filler Star Trek that they've done so far. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't think the short tracks are very good in a lot of ways. No. I think that they're generally uh, a time waste. They don't really say anything about the character. They never really took advantage of the format to do anything interesting with it. I don't, at least in my heart, I don't really consider this show to be canon in the sense that I can mm. watch it and I like the references and I like that like what the intent of all this stuff is, but it's not. You know, I'm gonna. I'm putting air quotes. It's not real Star Trek, but I don't. Sure. I don't, I'm not holding that against it. I like it as a kind of filler comedy that they put in between Star Trek seasons that uses the Star Trek brand, and and in that way, I don't feel that it's fair to, to be too harshly towards its referentialness. Like I, hmm. this show can exist for me just as a reference machine that makes jokes. You know, I don't need yeah. seven seasons in a movie out of this. Yeah, I I would take this over the short treks any day of the week yeah um and like you know it's i think it's uh if you're watching this and you're getting hung up with where this fits in the larger uh specific canon of star trek i kind of you know i don't want to sound like an asshole but i feel like you're doing it wrong Mm -hmm. because it's i agree with you completely it's like yeah sure it's quote-unquote canon in that it's the stuff is ha- happening or whatever, but like in the same universe, I, they're, they're yeah, the characters the same are admitting and, that they're in that universe with them. Yeah. But like, I am not really going to get worried if they don't get something right. Or if like, I'm not a new Star Trek series doesn't reference a lower decks episode. Is yeah, like exactly. Yeah. Like if yeah. in season, I'm not going to be mad if in season two of Picard, or, or I'm not expecting season two of Picard to, to reference like Ensign Rutherford You're or right. something. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> Like, let's put it this way. If you went to the drive-in and you went to see two Star Trek movies and they played one of these episodes between the two movies, you would love it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Most likely? Yeah. Because, like, it's just, it's a it's a 20-minute cartoon where they're making a bunch of Star Trek jokes, having a good time. The story structure is actually pretty good. It's not just, uh, it's not just reference jokes. It's jokes that work independent of that stuff. And it's, if you were, if you were to watch this as like the break between two Star Trek things, which is essentially what we're doing yep. in a lo- in a longer form. I think you would probably enjoy it a lot more. Just, you know, I don't have to take it so seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's an uncomfortable thing, but it does. It's, it's, it's canon, but it's not really like it's, sure. it's, which is the way that I think everyone kind of has to approach this stuff to make their, you know, make it work in your head. Uh, but I, although if it gets popular enough, then people are going to demand to see this stuff in canon, like with Star Wars, because now that was a Clone Wars is yeah. super popular. The Clone Wars stuff is starting to bleed into, into everything. live action stuff, which is totally fine. You know, who cares? <laughs> it's it's all fun. <laughs> It'll just like, be a I, Who Framed Roger Rabbit thing of Rutherford walking around on the in Picard as a cartoon, just wandering the ship hey, or something like that. In in the era that we're in regarding the pandemic. Uh, would I have a problem if, like, a, an episode of Discovery, someone goes onto a holodeck and ends up in the cartoon world? I don't know. <laughs> Why not? Who cares? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's true. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of the hostility towards it, if there is any hostility, I don't see too much towards it. This show is not getting the ire that Discovery and Picard got, I don't think. Mm. I, I think people are recognizing it um, for what it is. And it's, it's one of those rare cases. I think the public is actually wiser to this than a lot of critical reviews are, which is that the critical review is, I think critics are somewhat biased towards, you can't treat this as a product 
ancillary product, really. Or like critics are critics are trying to think of it as they don't want to think of it as a um, adjacent product that's just kind of there to fill time. Really, they'll mention it in reviews, but I think that when they're writing about it, their review just can't be, "Yeah, this is fine." If you don't really, you know, you're killing time between Star Trek episodes, that's not a great review about what this right. is. So I think they have to go into the referentialness and whether or not the show can stand on its own independent of star trek does it need to the mm-hmm. more I, the more that we've seen of it which is just the two episodes i don't think it's trying to function outside of that really it's just trying to stand on its own maybe in season two or three if it goes that long it will start to have to do stuff like mm. that but i don't think that's really that wasn't the goal for this i don't get any right. sense of like make a a solid tv show that's animated in reference to Star Trek. It's like just do an animated thing based on Star Trek and we'll see how it goes for a year. Yeah, I you know, I I I I don't want it to sound like we're saying the mark of quality is that it's it's just a disposable buffer between shows because I think it's more I think it's better than that. I'm just saying like that approach is is going to thinking about it that way is going to free you uh from the the constraints of being obsessed about where it fits in continuity et cetera et cetera et cetera, cetera. cuz i think it does stand on its own yeah um and it's it's just like the the approach to it is clearly just more of like a let's have fun with with stuff approach which i don't see as a bad thing what's the um, what was the biggest failure of this episode did you have a biggest failure for it um I didn't I didn't I really didn't like the A storyline. I Yeah. I think if you're doing such simple storylines like this, they kind of need to tie together. Like that's just a mark of a, a better script, I think, is if they somehow reference each other at, at even just towards the end. Um I just thought that the the Boimler and Mariner stuff I'm not sure I even really understand the resolution there where she's all of a sudden friendly to him. It's not like I have a problem or that I think it's unrealistic that she would flip and try to help him out towards the end. But it's um, I don't know if they wanted to set that tone to make it feel like it's not completely a hostile relationship between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I never I, get the sense that it's hostile, but I, I just wonder if they wanted to add a little bit of Trek ethos to this and have them be. They're all true friends anyway. Like no matter what happens here, they're all comfortable with each other. Well, I actually, I've never gotten the sense that they have an antagonistic relationship. I actually think that Mariner likes Boimler, Mm -hmm. which is why she keeps doing this stuff. She's not doing it because she's trying to be a dick. I think she's doing it because she likes him. Yeah. And so, and, you know, when you get down to the planet, she's trying to get, you know, she's trying to nudge him in the right direction, but he's not taking it. So she ends up having to kind of save his ass a little bit. Um, yeah, I think the resolution to it is a little, is a little light. Um, cause I was actually thinking in a, tra- in a traditional Star Trek episode, like if this was a TNG episode and they did this story, would the resolution be that, um, Mariner legitimately doesn't know something at the end. And so they flip the script on things where yeah. it's like, Mariner's like, listen to me. I know what's going on. I know what's going on. And then they end up in a position where uh, she legitimately doesn't know and Boimler legitimately does know. Right. So instead of her still getting the, uh, t- for lack of a better term, still having the upper hand in the situation. Yeah. Um, she hasn't Boimler failed. Actually, she didn't make a mistake. Yeah. She, yeah. Yeah. 
and ultimately Boimler finds his own worth through the actions and that are not ultimately orchestrated by Mariner. Yeah. Yeah, I, they. But I think I think though I think in that case though it's tough because in that story I think they are actively more antagonistic to each other, yeah, right? Yeah. Because that's the the cocky one who knows what, who's the know it all, and then ultimately that person gets knocked down a peg because they don't know what's going on. Right. Um. I think maybe I don't know if that shows a problem with Mariner as a character because she very much is Rick Sanchez from rick and morty but a, a much more palatable version of that yeah not as not as hostile um, yeah and rick works as a know-it-all because he he lets other people uh he lets other people fail even after he's tried to stop them he'll, yeah. he'll try he'll try to tell them what the thing to do but when they're like no you don't know everything he tape he'll be hands off and then let that person fail and ultimately catch them at the last second yeah just to prove a point to them because he's a dickhead yeah yeah <laughs> um mariner isn't like that and so my worry is that mariner will just end up being someone who can't fail Right. I was gonna. I was gonna use the to- the uh, the toxic word of Mary Sue here. Like, is Mariner yeah. gonna be the perfect character who knows everything? And they've they but they've kind of developed her as that way because she was a someone on the top of the mountain by serving on the, all the fancy starships, and she chose to go down to this lower decks level because she's happier down there. Yeah, I, I'm curious about that because I do get the sense that, I mean, clearly she's been knocked around quite a bit or has moved around quite a bit to certain areas i don't know if she's like ultimately the way that you handle that is she said that she chooses to be in lower decks but ultimately you find out that she was put there for a reason yeah, and she's like self-justifying she did or whatever yeah yeah um so yeah i'll be interested to see what they do with her because i do as i was watching it this time i was thinking about her character and i was thinking like well she's kind of like <laughs> She's kind of like Michael Burnham in that ultimately she has the answers. But the difference is she's a more honest character from a writing standpoint because she never pretends like she doesn't have the answers. Right. Whereas Burnham ultimately is always written to be the one who comes up with the solution. Right. And unearned. And she, unearned. she unearnedly yeah. gets to the correct answer. Yeah. Whereas Mariner clearly has a history and experience to draw from. Like she understands how certain things work, where the rules can be bent and all this kind of stuff. So she she's doing it. I would say she's not a Mary Sue because, uh, first of all, nobody holds her in reverence. Yep. And also because she clearly has a background that supports her actions. Yeah. Even though we haven't seen it, she clearly has the experience in the background to uh, support the decisions that she makes and the things she can and can't do. Yeah. Yeah, they've, um, they've talked about that. I was, I was a little surprised. I thought, I thought it was going to be the opportunity for serialization, which is that over the course of this episode, Mariner would learn that Boimler didn't sell her out to the captain and the pilot at the very end. Sure. And then when sure. she learns that, that's what causes her to do the Ferengi bit, where she's like, I'll give mm. him a little bit of something out of this just as a repayment. But they, they don't do it. She, she does it out of the kindness of her heart, which I don't think is a which I don't think is wrong, but I was a little surprised the character decided to do that at the end because to this point, I, I think that what she is is she's more built like Rick uh, from Rick and Morty, as you were saying. So I would I would like her, I would have seen that character let someone else fail and then catch them to sort of prove to them that that's the case, but it didn't, 
seem it seems strange to me that out of the blue with no nudge in this direction she just chooses this interaction to be the one to give to him i know he had that scene where he like just sort of sitting down crying about how he, he's going to be left alone on a planet doing like, and everyone's going to discover me a hundred years later. And so I know that she I, feels bad I for like him. That that's bit. a good, that's a good I, bit. Yeah. yeah they should have mentioned the, the sound of her voice, I think to tie it all together. But that, that was my only issue with it. Like I understand that mm. she's motivated to make him feel better, but at the same time, I didn't think that that character was really super motivated by making relatively whiny Boimler feel better. You know, it's, it just felt yeah. a little bit rushed. Yeah. I think, I think it's, I don't disagree. Um, but I think the difference is that again, I think she just legitimately likes him. Yeah. So even though she's acting like a, a a fifth grader in the way that she shows that she likes him, um, the the fact she probably likes him and and thinks that he's a pretty good Starfleet. I mean, she, obviously she said that to him. Whether or not she was just pumping his tires or what, she says, "Oh, you're a great Starfleet." Whatever. Um. So I can see that being a reason for her to try to cheer him up a little bit because she does like him and she doesn't want him to get discouraged but yeah from a storytelling standpoint it would have been it would have been a little bit nicer to uh have them have her have a little bit more of a motivation especially because i think having them a little bit more antagonistic isn't the word but like just a little bit more at odds would probably go a long way at this point in the story yeah because it's so early so if they did have that conversation um, where maybe she's getting a little jaded or whatever, and then he says the thing about not selling her out. So just a little bit little bit to pull him back to her side because she she thinks that he's like if if the story if the story is the same exact story, but the angle is that she thinks Boimler is just a pencil pusher who's just a Starfleet boy, who's not going to do any, who doesn't actually know anything about the world or how the world works because he's too obsessed with with rank and, and, and where he sits in the hierarchy. That then gives more um, justifiable cause to the way that she, that, that they, they, the, the way that they react to each other where she is that, but I mean, that's kind of the first episode was kind of that, yeah. but it's like, you know, he's trying to do things by the book. She's not. Then it gets to the point where he's like, oh, I, I even defended you or I didn't turn you into the captain or whatever. And that's the point where she kind of gets a glimmer of what he is, you know? So, but that is, again, that's, that is maybe a little bit too similar to the first episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that was my, that was my point. Did you have another uh, semi-weakness that you thought out of it or anything that stood out to you? That was really my only, um, my, that's my, that was my main yeah. gripe. I thought that maybe it was a little bit too simplistic and I'm, I wasn't crazy about the way that the A plot worked in this one. Yeah, I would probably agree. I would say, yeah, I think, I, I think uh, Mariner as a character who I actually do like, I do like the character. I do like the characterization. Um, but I'm I am just worried that it's going to turn into Mariner knows everything and is infallible. Yeah, um, which I feel like probably is going to hamper you storytelling wise fairly quickly. I thought she seemed lower energy this episode, which would maybe be bit, interesting yeah. to some people. It wasn't the. It's really just that opening cold open of the first episode where she's pretending to be a Klingon. Like that's that was the first thing everyone saw of in the mm-hmm. pilot episode. That's the first thing everyone saw of her, and I. I think that just like this like cultural idea of that's what that character is was born of that moment where she was so over the top and like right, yelling about right. everything. But th- this one, she's much more reserved. I mean, she's still a high energy character, but she's not 
motor mouth or a mile a minute, really, you know? Right. How did you feel about the uh, the cold open for this one with the I like that. I like that. I yeah. thought that was the <laughs> <laughs> it's uh i like the voice acting of the the energy ball or whatever it was yes, I thought that the, yeah. the writing there was kind of funny but that that's yeah very much a um that's very much like it feels like it was just ripped from a star trek episode right there and just spun slightly yeah what i what i do like about her character is she i i feel like she gives you the uh the ability to take a lot of Star Trek stuff and send it up in the way that they do, like especially in that cold open, because she's been around the block, because she has all this this experience, that allows her to be the character who's like, nah, we don't have to worry about that. We can actually yeah. do this. She knows how the a, episode go in the original. Exactly. Series, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which I think is which I think works. And I, you know, if you want to compare these to uh, uh, the short treks, why does this work? But the Tribbles episode of the Short Treks didn't work for us. Oh, I, I kind of like the Tribbles episode of the Short Treks. Um, or did we both like that? I don't remember. I guess it didn't work for a lot of other people. It didn't work for a lot way. of other people. But th- that was, um, they didn't like the comedy, it seems. It, mm-hmm. It's hard to say. It's hard to say whether or not people legitimately didn't like the comedy of that or they thought that it was, quote unquote, disrespectful to Star Trek to have that kind of comedy mm-hmm. in it. I think maybe as Lower Decks moves on and they move into more comedy stylings, I think people will look back on the Tribble one fondly. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I just have a, the mental image of me of people complaining about that is that uh, John H. H. John Benjamin's character and his commander in that one weren't talking to each other like Star Trek characters talk to each sure. other. Like they they sure. disliked each other, which is necessary for the comedy of that episode. But that's a very old take on what Star Trek is, like which is now sure. changing right before our eyes. Yeah, I do. I do think if they had just done that exact same script as an episode of Lower Decks, it would work fine. Yeah, I it, think the yeah. I think the problem is that it's live action, yep. so that puts it directly into quote unquote real Star Trek. Yeah, it becomes um, it becomes canon. Stand, yeah, at that point, yeah. in a way that Lower Decks, which makes doesn't. it stand out a lot more. Um, but if they had done the same thing with a cartoon, I don't think. I don't think anybody have an issue with it. Yeah. It'd probably be the the best uh, episode of Lower Decks of the season or something if they, they pulled it <laughs> off. Yeah. I um, Like, because you could imagine that uh, it would have to have a different ending probably, but you could imagine the H. John Benjamin character being Boimler. Yep. And his commanding officer either being a different hard-nosed commanding officer or even being the captain from this show yeah. so i think i think it would work pretty much the same yeah they, they yeah they lose the ship in trouble with troubles at the end they have to abandon ship mm-hmm. uh which right. i guess you can't do like mariner would probably solve the problem in in the lower decks episode of it like one would be i think mariner that, would blow the ship up she would blow the ship up that would be that would be the solving for the problem is she'd blow the ship up yeah it's the series finale of star trek lower decks um and I yeah, just, I guess, just before we go, I did like the Rutherford B plotline. I think, mm, I think, I liked yes. Rutherford as a character. I like his voice actor. I think that his characterization is—he's um, not super nerdy or like cowardly. It's my favorite, my favorite president was Rutherford B plotline. <laughs> he's not—he's not the generic sort of like weak-willed kind of nerdy character. He's really into mm. what he does, but he is um, enthusiastically for it at the same time. And I guess. I, I didn't see it coming, but I guess you're right that they're trying to build a relationship between Tandy or Tendy and him towards the end, mm-hmm. where they they find common ground, even though they're looking at the different things. They're 
they're doing the modern equivalent of watching a movie together while you're both on your phone <laughs> at yes. the end. Um, but they both enjoy spending time with each other. I, I like him as a character. I think he's he's the character. We don't know much about Tandy. Maybe she'll change or Tandy, whatever her name is. Um, but Rutherford feels like the character that you can most easily stick into jokes like this and make them mm-hmm. work because he believes in the environment that he's in in a way that Boyle right. and Mariner don't. Right. Yeah, I do. I like that. I like that B plot. Um, I I do like what they're doing with the two of them too because it's they're clearly angling them toward each other, but they're they're not making it a, a foregone conclusion because I like the I I like that he gets the sweats when she, when he's like, well, yeah, I guess I could just change my career, and she's like, cool, so yeah. I'll see you at eight, and he's like, Haha. yeah, you know, he has to, he likes her. But he has to, to uh, now figure out whether or not he's going to give up the stuff that he loves just to hang out with her. Yep, and then get yelled at the by ultimate, Paul Shear. It's all worth yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the ultimate resolution is nice, too, where he they have that bit where he's uh, he's looking longingly at the, the circuitry of the Jeffries tube instead of the, the girl in the supernova or yep, whatever they're near. The, the sunset, yeah. So I think... I think I think those two as a, as a couple is uh, the way that they're handling them. I, I like it so far. I guess that's it. We'll call it a day there. Uh, Lower decks. The second episode was called Envoys. I think we both kind of liked it, similar to the first one. Uh, I think at this point. So we're not rating these uh, at this point, but maybe at some point I'll go back and just give my personal ratings about them. But it's hard to tell right from the start. So. Thank you for listening, everybody. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best way to support us. A couple dollars a month gets you extra stuff. Other than that, we'll be back with Lower Decks and Enterprise episodes are alternating. Minefield is the next Enterprise episode, and then whatever the third episode of Lower Decks will be out uh, the Friday after that. And I think that's pretty much it. You can join the Discord if you want to join our conversation. There'll be a link down below. Uh, all the social media is down below, too. I guess that's pretty much it. Clay, do you have anything you want to say? Uh, we just had a new Badass come out this week where we did Sideshow and The Worry Men. Um, and then next week we will have, or I guess this week, if this is no next week, I get my days all mixed up with this show now. Uh, next week we'll have a new rotten horror picture show where we will be doing, uh, Carrie, which is a, which is a fun one. Yep. And, um, you recently did a patron watch with the, the thing, which I assume you're doing for rotten horror. You watch that with the patrons. That's just a -hmm. a perk for people who join the Patreon can kind of watch along, uh, the movies and that went well. And I guess that's pretty much it. This month on Patreon, I did. we did uh, TNG's Relics. We revisit that. So that'll be available this weekend. We'll do the content consumption. And then the movie is Moon, the Duncan Jones uh, Moon with Sam Rockwell. Uh, that'll be out later this month. So if you're interested in those, you can check out patreon.com slash the Penske file. All right, I guess that's it. Clay, any final words or are we done? Uh, I think we're done. We're done. Guys, thank you very much. Let us know what you thought about Lower Decks. Let us know if your opinion is changing and what you're looking forward to out of the show. All that stuff down below. And otherwise, I guess that's it. We'll see you later.